All right, going through the list with the spelling. You're checking your own list. Here we go. The first word was Blorsky. I lost my Blorsky at a carnival. B-L-O-R-S-K-E-E. E-E. -E. The next word was Tangentine. I eat my spaghetti with a Tangentine. That is T-A-N-G-E-T-E-E-N. Tangentine. The next word is Spiku. Look, there's a Spiku. S-P-E-E-K-U-Z-S-L-M-N. There's silent letters at the end of that one. Yep. Spiku. S-P-E-E-K-U-Z-S-L-M-N. What? Yep. Chinese It's not. Nope. It's actually from somewhere else. Not here. The next word. Was a matter. Students said they were sick. I said, was a matter with you. W-A-Z-A-M-A-T-A. Was a matter. What's the matter? The next word is slippert. Be careful when you're sleeping. There might be a slippert in your house. Slippert. S-L-I-P-E-R-T. Slippert. Nice. The next word is ch, -ch, -ch. The horse was angry, so I said ch, -ch, -ch. That's C-H-C-H-C-H. -H -H. Nice. Nice work. The last word is Rolaskatox. Rolaskatox was surprised when Jinx took the crown. That's R-O-L hyphen. What? A-S-K-A hyphen. T-O-X. If you didn't get the hyphens, I'm sorry you got that word wrong. The word is Rolaskatox. The next word was spinach. My favorite word, food is spinach and artichoke dip. That's S-P-E-E-N-U-C-H. Spinach. The next word is Shabola. Be careful that you do not catch Shabola. S-H-A-B-O-L-A-S-K-P. More silent letters. S-H-A-B-O-L-A-S-K-P. Shabola. The next word is Gur. My friend told me a secret. I looked at her and said, Gur? That's G. U with an umlau, that's two dots over the U, R, R, R. G, U with an umlau, R, R, R. Your next word, number 11, is April Fools, because this is an April Fools joke! <laughs> Close enough. April Fools! Congratulations, turn in your test, this will be on your report card. So admit it, you're at about halfway through. You're trying to figure out, are these real words or not, right? I, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so, uh, of course, April Fool's Day was uh, this week. And so do any of you like to play April Fool's jokes on people? Yeah. I, I used to. Um, I, I've told this story before um, at least once. But to be honest, I've been here nine years now, so I don't have that many new stories. In fact, nine years today, I came here, and, I, and so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't reach for that at all. No. Um, so, uh, th this is a, something, a story I did to my son on April Fool's uh, one time. He was probably about six years old, and uh, we used to try to do April Fool's, you know, pranks on each other. And so, I came up with this idea. Uh, Toys R Us was having a... Uh, a contest where you'd sign up and the winner would get a thousand dollars and to use in the store 
So Caleb signed up, and he was excited. He, he, he wrote down, like he, he had it all spent, what he was going to buy, which video game, you know, all that stuff. And, and so uh, April Fools came, and, and so the guy I worked with, we were in campus ministry at the time, I said, Jeff, I, w- I want you to call up Caleb and tell him that he won the prize from Toys R Us. So Jeff does that. Calls him up and kind of has the voice, you know, hey, this is Toys R Us, and I want you to know that, that you won. And, and uh, so Caleb, you know, his eyes are getting big and, and uh, getting excited, and, and, and he gets off the phone, and he's like, I won the prize from Toys R Us. And, and Holly didn't know about this either, and so she starts jumping around, and they're celebrating, and they're so happy. And, and I'm sitting over in their corner going, oh, no. <laughs> this is going to be really bad when they find out. Uh, because of how happy they were. And, and so I go in the other room. I call Jeff. I'm like, Jeff, you've got to call him back and tell him this isn't real. So, so Jeff calls him back and, and says, hey, Caleb, this is Jeff. It, it, you know, that was me, April Fools. And, and uh, so Caleb, you could just see his face sinking. And he uh, gets off the phone and he's like, it was Jeff. And a little tear comes out of his eye, and, and Holly starts crying, too. And, and I'm like, I am the world's worst dad right now. Yes. And, and so I said, I can't believe Jeff did that. That was terrible. <laughs> no, I, I took credit, and uh, you know, my son's been in counseling ever since then. And, but no, I, I haven't done that many jokes since that day, because I decided I, I don't have the ability to decide if this is a good joke or not. Um, but why am I talking about these things as we go into a, a message on Revelation? We've been in this for uh, several weeks now. Um, did those because they're about kind of tricking people um, in a fun way. Uh, you're, you're playing jokes on people. Um, Revelation talks a lot about deception and tricking people, but not in a good way, in a harmful way. And, and, and so Satan is all about tricking or deceiving, and, and he doesn't mean it for fun. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says it clearly what he tries to do, and it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Okay, he's deceptive. He, he looks good. He tries to, to make even sinful things look like good things. However, in Revelation 12 through 14, that's our chapters this week, Satan is going to kind of be exposed for who he really is. Okay, God wants us to be aware of just how wicked and evil Satan is. And so God kind of peels the mask off and reveals this evil, wicked dragon. Okay, remember, you know, John's trying to paint pictures with words uh, throughout the book. And, and he paints a picture of this really mean, evil, scowling red dragon. You know, so seven heads and, and ten horns and... And so it's really, it's kind of, kind of looks like this. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. So this is a, in case you can't see, this is a red dragon. It's only got one head instead of seven heads. Um, but chapters 12 through 14, they're actually kind of an interlude between our sets of judgments. Remember we had, there's going to be three sets of seven judgments. Uh, first week we looked at the seven seals. Last week we looked at the seven trumpets. Next week we'll look at the seven bowls of judgment. Um, but this is kind of a little break in the middle, kind of designed to expose Satan for who he is. And, and, and so to start the, the interlude in Revelation 12, 
this dragon is introduced. But as I, I read this passage, I, I want you to kind of think Christmas time in, in the manger scene. Believe it or not, kind of kind of have that mindset as I, as I read this. So let's take a look. Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She was Uh, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient servant called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay, so keep in mind the the apocalyptic language here. Okay, the the dragon is clearly identified in verse 9 we just read that the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Okay, so God reveals who this is right away. Um, There was a great battle going on at some point in history. Remember, apocalyptic writing doesn't always go in chronological order, but the, the great dragon, Satan, was, was thrown out of heaven. Okay? Satan was furious. Okay? And since that time, he's been trying to, to get back at God, do whatever he can, um, dragging people away from God along the way, causing as much suffering and pain as he can. But let's go back to, to the birth that was described in our passage. Wh- whose birth does it seem like it was describing? Okay, Jesus, yeah. And, and, and when the, the child is described as, as ruling the nation as the iron scepter, um, it's echoing the same language as Psalm 2.9. Okay, that's where that came from. Um, but, but this is a, a little different picture than we usually describe in our nice little nativity scenes, isn't it? We usually don't think about it this way. In our Christmas program, we don't have a part for a red dragon trying to kill Jesus as soon as he is born, do we? Right? Okay? You know, you, it's not one of those things where, okay, who's got to be the red dragon this year? I'll give it to Billy. He's the bad kid. He, he's been the red dragon for four years in a row. No, no, we don't have that. I'm glad we don't. But uh, th- this is... This is showing us that there's more going on there. Um, there is a, a spiritual battle going on. Okay? Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Okay? So there, in our, our little manger scene, we, you know, we have the, the, the wise men... Here we have the shepherds and, you know, all part of the story. You have Joseph and Mary and, and, and you have some cows there. You have some sheep and, and it's a, we just have a, a pretty little picture of what it is. And, and that's not a bad thing, okay? It's a, an awesome story. Um, but what we don't picture is the, the spiritual battle that's going on. The, even then when Jesus was born. 
Okay, that there, Satan is in the background doing everything he can. And, and so some people, uh, they like to kind of be literal about this, that they include this red dragon in the background. Talk to Brad Hildebrand, that they, this, it's his dragon I borrowed. But it's in the background. You can't physically see the red dragon, okay? They couldn't see a red dragon. But this is pointing out to us that, hey, there is stuff going on in the background. And it's not just there at the manger scene. There is stuff going on today. There's this spiritual battle that's going on that Satan wants to drag us away. Many of you have probably read the the book The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien and a story of a little guy named Bilbo Baggins and, and he, he helps a, a group of dwarves reclaim their mountain home but there's a deadly dragon named Smog and he inhabited the mountain and so they had to be careful about just walking back into their home without great caution. And, and Tolkien writes, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Okay, very true, right? You've got to watch out for that dragon. And, and the truth is that we live near a dragon also. A, a dragon who is thrown from heaven and who now prowls the earth, but, but he is mostly sneaky about it. He prefers to just kind of, you know, just trick and deceive us. Paul was, was talking about forgiveness in, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, and he said this, uh, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware, unaware of his schemes. What, what are you saying? Is we, we know what Satan's trying to do. We get it. Um, because Satan is tricky and he's dangerous. And we need to be aware of what he's trying to do. So in these chapters, we're, we're introduced actually to three important tactics that Satan used then. He continues to use now to draw as many people as possible away from God, okay? Uh, these three areas are, are uh, at the time, specific symbols representing uh, the Roman Empire, what they did. Um, but he continues to use the, these same tactics to, today. And so we're going to look at major tactics of Satan. Revelation 13 gives us the details. And so first of all, one of the things that Satan realizes is that if he can get whole governments on his side, such as the Roman government then he can impact a whole lot of people at once, right? He can, can just kind of impact a whole society through this, this government. So, so two beasts are introduced by the dragon. The first beast, uh, I believe, represents godless governments. Okay, let's read about it with that in mind. It's chapter 13, verse 1. The, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and, and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Okay, uh, don't get overwhelmed. I know it's a lot of, a lot of crazy language for us, but stay with me. Um, the leopard, the... Bear and the lion, 
it talked about, just a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. You look it up, you'll see that. There was actually four uh, animals talked about there. Here we have three. Um, and so we've we got to keep in mind that a lot of revelation is coming directly from Old Testament stuff, Old Testament prophecies. So, so the, the dragon breaks forth a beast out of the sea that actually looks a lot like him, right? They both have seven heads, ten horns. So it's really just another way to, to talk about Satan here. And, and so this beast demands worship, utters blasphemy, just like the, the, the Roman emperor Domitian, who, that was the Roman ever at the time it was written, uh, he demanded these things, he even declared himself Lord and God. Um, and when believers at that time didn't agree to bow down to the emperor, uh, the government, he made war against the, God's holy people, which is exactly what Domitian did against the Christians at the time. You see, worship, we, we talk about just singing on Sunday morning, worship really is, is war. Uh, it's war about who you worship. Uh, who we worship defines who we are. Satan hates it when we worship God. And he has used governments throughout history to kind of draw people away from God so they will worship him. And so going back to Daniel again, one of the stories that you remember, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, remember he made this image of gold, it was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And, and he told everybody that when the, when the horn, when the musical instrument was sound, they all needed to bow down to this image. Uh, and, of course, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not. They had to be thrown in the fiery furnace. God protected them. Um, and they were the exception to the rule, okay? Um, God used that government to to draw people away. They were worshiping, uh, you know, that, that false government, that false God. Um, but Satan knows that if he can get corrupt, godless governments, then, then it leads to godless people. And so he used that tactic in Rome. He's used it again the, throughout history. So godless governments are agents of Satan. And here's the thing. We need to be careful about believing that our go government is beyond ever going down the road of godlessness, right? Okay, uh, <laughs> you, um, and I, I love our country. I'm so thankful for our country, but, but believe it or not, we are not God's second group of chosen people. I mean, sometimes we kind of have that mindset. Um, God's second chosen people group are those who are followers of Christ, okay, from, from any, anywhere in the world. And, and so we should never blindly follow any government, um, th there are some pretty horrific things that happen every day in this country that are sanctioned by our government, right? Including the taking of lives of, of innocent children. Okay, w we should never just, no matter what it is, Republican or Democrat, we, we don't just say, oh yeah, we're, we're America. No, we can be pulled away just like any country in a lot of ways we have, right? And, and, and so we got to be careful, Okay. Satan uses governments. And then there's a second beast that is brought out in chapter 13. The beast represents false religions. Okay, sometimes the, the, these uh, interact or they go together. In fact, usually government and religion, there's connections there. But let's pick it up in verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Okay, think about that. 
two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it had performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Okay, he says he forces the earth to worship the first beast. Sounds a lot like worshiping false gods to me. I think it's referring to false religions. And it says the beast has two horns like a lamb, but sounded like a dragon. What's that kind of sound like? Kind of sounds like a wolf in sheep's clothing, doesn't it? Okay, a, a lamb represents innocence. A dragon represents evil. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount to watch out for what? Wolf in sheep's clothing. All right? A, a lamb, you know, with two horns? That, that's Jesus. Um, and then you have Satan who, who tries to make things look good. And that's what he's done through false religion. Satan knows that if, if he can get people to worship something other than the one true God, then he can pull people away. You know, religions like Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Taoism and even secular humanism. So many religions that, oh man, they look good on the outside, but they're really dragons that seem like lambs. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, and it's sad because millions and, and even billions of people have been led astray by these religions. You know, have, you, have you ever bought something and it didn't end up being what you thought you bought or you know maybe online especially uh n now we you go to amazon and, and and we love it right amazon gets here in two days but say if you buy clothes or something it's never quite the right size or shoes um yeah or a a purse that's designer thing that's actually from china but that's another story for my daughter but um uh but but we we think that that these these things look so good. Or, or, or there's some item that we think we need and we get it. And it's like, oh man, that, that is not what I thought this was. Or, or it's kind of a piece of junk. And, and, and so we're deceived. And, and, you know, I think about something like that, but I think it, you notch it up a whole bunch to the kind of deception that, that Satan does. He loves to, to draw people away through, through false religions that they, they look good. But man, they're not. And he gets people to, to believe lies such as, you know, all, all religions, you know, really they just lead to the same place or, or, or they're just different ways to the same God or, or there really is no God or, or, or if there is God, why is there pain in this world? Or, or if you, you, you know, live a good enough life, then you know, really you can just kind of earn your way to heaven. And this whispering voice is, is just behind all these deceiving philosophies of the world. And so Satan uses false religions to deceive people. Now, okay, at the end of chapter 13, we have a couple things that the people really like to talk about in regards to religion. And I'm guessing if I don't touch on these at least a little bit, I'm going to get questions about this. So there's the mark of the beast, 
um, in the number 666. Okay, they're mentioned in this passage. And, and we see, and I don't know, Americans are pretty fascinated with this, these two things. But uh, let me read those verses. Verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is in the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Okay, so now we can remember, I said at the beginning of this series, you can disagree with me on some of these things. That's okay. Uh, we don't have to 100% agree on this and, and uh, what this is about. Uh, remember, I would say to start with, this was written to the churches at Asia Minor, uh, first of all, uh, to, for, for strength and encouragement and wisdom and, and motivation to keep going. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit. We can agree to disagree. Um, we can agree I'm right, you're wrong. No, I, I, no. Um, but there, there's lots of ideas about this. But, but the number 666 is a symbol representing something less than God. Okay, that's what that means. It, it, it's man's number. Uh, the, the number six is less than complete, okay? It, it, it falls short of God's perfect 777, okay? That, that's the main gist of it, really. Um, and, and there have been hundreds of ideas about the, who the, that represents. Um, a lot of people f- probably feel that that was Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero, the generation before this who had done so many terrible things. Um, I don't think it does represent him, but you can find a way, really, for 666 to represent about anybody. Uh, people said uh, Barack Obama, that 666, you can find his letters in there and, you know, different things. And, and, and so I think if you're creative enough, you can do that. Um, personally, I think the letters do represent something, but it's not a person. It's just very simple. The letters 666 are the, the alphanumeric code for the word beast. Okay, if you go back to the, the Greek language and, and the representatives of those letters, um, but, but it's really not that important that, that, that I'm right about that. I, I, I'm not concerned about that. But it, in other, it just represents Satan. Okay, that, that's what it is. Uh, and by the way, don't try to find meaning every time something comes up 666 in your life. All right, you go to McDonald's and you get an order and it costs 666. And you're like, oh no, I'm Satan, I'm the, I'm the beast. Okay, Don't, no, okay, it just happened to cost 666 because that's how much the cheeseburger and fries with the tax cost, right? Okay, so, so just, you know, don't worry, and probably your clerk will say, oh man, sorry about that, or whatever, but no, just throw it away, or you can put whatever, mark it, put it in your, on your refrigerator, it, it doesn't mean anything if that happens to you. Um, and then just as 666 is symbolic, uh, you know, as the mark of the beast, uh, uh, or as Satan, um, the mark of the beast is also symbolic, okay? I, I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. This is not about having microchips implanted in our hands to be controlled by the government any more than locusts and other places in Revelation are about Apache helicopters, Okay, this was written to the churches in Asia Minor first. There's no way they could have understood things that weren't even invented yet. 
And so check this out as we move into chapter 14. I think this gives us some, some idea of what this is referring to. In verse 1 it says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. Okay? Written on their foreheads. Okay, not literally. Um, here's what it's referring to. When you live for God... When you belong to Christ, it's as clear as if you have it stamped on your forehead. Okay, God knows your heart. He sees your actions, but it, it's symbolic. And, and when you live for Satan, symbolically, you are stamped or marked as fallen. Okay, the, the stamp on your, your forehead is about who you belong to. It's about the essence of who you are. But it isn't an actual stamp. And so don't try to make this too, too tricky as we go through this. We, we, we try to read too many things into this so those are my uh, few thoughts on 666 and the mark of the beast you can do with it what you want whatever you can get mad at me but that's what i think um let's move on so uh, a third major tactic that that satan uses is a, a hedonistic culture okay what's what's a hedonistic culture it, this is where the pursuit of pleasure really is the most important thing Okay, um, that was the Roman culture, big and bad. Satan's goals in a hedonistic culture is, is moral corruption. Okay, plain and simple. Okay, and, and so this, this third ally, it's mentioned in 14.8. It's going to be developed more fully in chapter 17 and then in 18. But verse 8 says this, A second angel followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen, who made all nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Okay, Babylon the great. Okay, in chapter 17, she's called the great prostitute. And, and this prostitute, like I said, it's Rome herself. It, it's described in chapter 17 as the great city that rules over the kings of the earth and that sits on seven hills. Okay, Rome sat on seven hills. Okay, that's what it's talking about. The, this prostitute represents their culture. Okay, it, which is it, it's another societal structure that, that Satan uses. Uh, the, the prostitute is described in, in chapter 17 and 18 as being all about inquiring luxuries, about drinking and getting drunk, about pursuing sexual pleasure, attaining power and fame. And so she's all about herself, okay, Rome, the culture, and, and she wants to entice John's readers to think only about themselves as well. And so the, the prostitute uses temptation to morally corrupt. You see, the culture around us unconsciously shapes us. And, and, and sometimes I think, oh, I'm not going to let it. I, I'm not, you know, but those things they do. The, the, they do, they shape us. They, uh, you know, a, a society's collective habits of, of education and art and, and music and entertainment and, and economic activity, they all shape us. And, and it's so easy to get kind of pulled into the norm of society. And through the culture, Satan tries to gradually seduce us into kind of selfishness and pleasure-seeking and, and greed and sexual promiscuity. And, and if, if all these things become the norm, then, then he's winning, okay? But at least this is only talking about Rome's culture, right? At least we don't have to worry about that in our, our culture, right? Wrong, yeah. 
There are so many things in our culture that they're kind of slippery slopes. Uh, uh, the movies that we watch or the music we listen to and, and the temptation to, to sin or, or to minimize sin or, or to say things that, that aren't sin that were called sin in the Bible. And, and, we, and it just becomes normal. It must not be that big of a deal. And so Satan uses these, these hedonistic cultures to separate people from God. So there's kind of three big things. So, so what do we do? Um, let's talk about how to overcome this devil's schemes. First of all is patient endurance and faithfulness. If you go back to chapter 13, in the second part of verse 10, it says, This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Okay, remember the church, they were asking, okay, God, how long is this going to be? And again, in our chapters this morning, it's saying, not forever. Uh, it, it will end. At some point, God will say, that's enough, no more. In the meantime, it calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. You know, as Christians, the longest time we can suffer is this lifetime. Okay, and that seems like a long time for, for here, right? But when you compare that to eternity, it's really not that, that long of a time. Uh, for those who aren't Christians, the suffering will last for eternity. There was one time in, in uh, Philippians, Paul said this, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a no-lose situation. When we're here on this earth, we, we can serve Christ and, and live for Him. When, if we do die, we get to live with Him forever, Right? Patience, endurance, and faithfulness. Church is also encouraged in these chapters to claim the blood of Christ. Okay, back in chapter 12, verse 11, it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Okay, a couple things. Um, Christ defeated Satan on the cross. Okay, and, and we can stand firm in that victory. That victory is through the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Without that victory, we would be stamped with that, that mark of defeat of Satan that we talked about. With that victory, we're, we can be stamped with Christ. Okay, that's good news, right? Um, and, and so we can overcome the devil's schemes by claiming the blood of Christ. And this verse shows us one more thing we need to do. It says at the end of it that to love Jesus more than our lives. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Okay, the, the martyrs that, who were singing in Revelation 12, they were willing to die for Jesus. And, and many in the early church did die. In fact, uh, in the hands of the Roman emperor Domitian, generation before, uh, in the hands of Nero, and I don't know if we will ever be faced with a, a situation where we could actually die for being a Christian in this country. Um, I think it could happen, even in this country of religious freedom. But, but whether we are called to physically die for Christ is not the point. The point is that we need to be so sold out for Christ that we would do anything for Him, even if it meant death. We started out by talking about the, the spiritual battle that was going on at the, the birth of Jesus with the dragon in the background. And it isn't just a, a little battle that's going on in the background. It's a huge war. On Wednesday night, uh, Hunter Cantrell said yes to Jesus. This is Hunter. Yes. 
and I had the privilege of baptizing him into Christ. Uh, you know, if you don't know, this is Stephen Ann's grandson, Mike and Melissa's son. And I'm so excited for Hunter. And, and uh, his T-shirt that he has on there says "Made New," and, and we give those to everybody now when they're baptized. But it, it means he's he's made new in Christ. He's a new creation. And, and a little victory was won uh, for Jesus. And, and Satan was knocked down a little bit. And, and each time somebody says yes to Jesus, Satan gets knocked down a little bit more. And, and he hates it, but it, it just it's awesome. And, and when we're aware of the devil's schemes and, and, and we start to say, no, I'm separating myself from you. I'm living for Christ. I'm no, I'm not crossing that line. It knocks down Satan a little more every time. And one day, maybe today, Jesus is going to come back and Satan is going to be knocked down forever. Right? What a day that will be. And so all we need to question, all we need to know for sure is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? Every one of us needs to be able to answer that question. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. And it's, it's not like fun stuff to talk about, but it's so important that we realize that, that the Satan is, is out there. And he's trying to do whatever he can to pull us away from you. And I pray that we'll be aware of what he's trying to do and that you'll give us the strength to resist him. I pray that as individuals. I pray that as a church. I pray as a country that we can follow you and honor you. And we look forward to that day when you come back and you take us home to be with you forever. Lord, we pray for those who are not ready for that day. And I pray that each of us will do what we can to help people get on board with being followers of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And please stand as we sing.